0: If you have a way to see God's Word, go ahead and turn to Ephesians or pull up Ephesians chapter 6. I think uh, many of you have been concerned about my marriage this week. Uh, we, did, we did work through our issue, and uh, we agreed to disagree, um, and she will not be speaking out anymore in the middle of the service. So anyway, this is a platform God has given me. All right. Ephesians chapter 6. We're in week 5 of Suit Up, and today we're looking at the shield of faith. I want us to look carefully at God's Word. I want to kind of recap where we've been so far. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That means there's something beyond the scenes that we can see that's actually happening. And many times, I'm afraid that while we'll maybe have kind of arguments in our marriage or whatever it may be, a lot of times it's nothing more than what the enemy is trying to scheme and putting distance between you and your spouse, between your children, between those that you're supposed to be worshiping with. He just has a way of creating chaos. And so God's way of countering these attacks is in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then today, verse 16. But above all, take in the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When you look at that phrase, fiery darts, what's amazing about that is it was one of the most effective weapons in that day. And the reason it doesn't just say darts, it says fiery darts, is because there would be a flame associated with the dart that he's talking about here. And of course, the soldier or the warrior would wrap his shield uh, in, uh, in cloth, but also put water. He would trench it in water to put out and quench those darts that would come their way. Now, if you look at the Roman soldier, you'll see... Uh, that, that he has everything. In this case, he has the bigger shield, as you'll see. But there were actually two shields. And you can see that on the next pa- uh, picture there. You had the, the, the main shield for battle, and that would be a, a big uh, proximity of those who are around. But then you had the small shield. Both were intended to take the attack from the enemy. And so the attack from the enemy would come, and you had the shield that would block the arrows. And that's the imagery that Paul's given us when it comes to how the enemy comes at us. So look at the introduction. Faith in God is the only protection for those who are vulnerable and under attack from the enemy. Without faith in God, the follower of Jesus does not stand a chance against the enemy. Faith must be placed, developed, and even exercised in the Jesus follower to be able to withstand the weaponry, here in this case, the darts of the enemy. And so if you were to say, tell me a crucial piece of the armor, the, God's word according to verse 16 would say, above all, take on the shield of faith. The faith that you have is your weapon against the enemy. Because here's what we know about the enemy. The enemy is coming for our faith. He wants to destroy your faith. And he'll use whatever means it takes to do that. And today we're going to look at the attempts that he tries to make in our lives as it relates to the attacks on our faith. In Proverbs 30 verse 5 it says this, Every word of God is tested and refined like silver, he, God, is a shield to those who trust and take refuge in him. That phrase trust, those who trust, that's a part of the faith element that we need when it comes to countering the enemy. Now, of course, and just something we all need to take note of: the battle we're facing right now, the the, the armor that we have. Gives us the ability, based on Romans chapter 8, it says that we are more than conquerors through him, through God, who loved us. We are more than conquerors. That means victory is certain. That means you can count on the victory that God provides through his son Jesus, through the righteousness that he's given us, we've seen that, but also in the ability to have our faith exercised in the midst of attack. So, with the shield, we block the darts or the weaponry of the enemy, then hold forth the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're going to be talking about that part next week. So, basically, the picture you have here is Paul's trying to give us this picture. He's saying we block the enemy's attack with the shield of faith, and then there's the sword that we come back with. Okay? So, we block, and then we use the sword. Now, how does all this look as it relates to us in our lives. Well, it's very similar to what we find in Genesis chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at several passages and several people this morning as it relates to those who've been attacked by the enemy. So as you turn, the fiery darts of the enemy, we're going to look at five of those if we have time here today. We're going to look at five, but he has many more. Okay, you need to keep that in mind. The five we have here today are the main ones, but he has many more that he can pitch at us. So, the first one I want us to notice that we find in Genesis chapter 3 is the dart of doubt. Now, as I said, the shield of faith catches the weaponry or or whatever how the enemy attacks us. In some cases, the lies. He He captures the lies of the enemy in midair. And then he knocks them to the ground and raises up truth. But where does he attack? How does he come at us to create doubt? Well, number one, he challenges the author of God's Word. As it relates to us, he comes at us in such a way that he literally, in our minds, in how we conduct ourselves, he challenges, really, the God of our faith and the authority that he holds. We'll see that in just a moment. But look at Genesis 3.1. Now, the serpent, of course, we know who that is. It's the enemy, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? Here's, Here's basically what's happening here. The enemy is pitching this whole dart or this whole weapon Towards the attack, towards Eve, based on the fact, did God really say that? Now, who is he attacking at this point? He's going after God Himself. You you can't count on God. You can't. Did he really come on, really? But secondly, we see the dart of doubt challenges what I said a well while ago, the authority of God's word. The second part of verse one. It says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat eat it nor touch it lest you die. Now, Now, here's what's interesting about Eve. And sometimes we don't give her enough credit in this story. But she basically corrected theology right off the bat. So so basically Satan comes and says, you mean you can't eat anything that comes from the tree? She says, no, no, we can do that. It's just the one that's in the midst of the garden, the one in the center of the garden. And so right away she corrects theology. She knows the Word of God, and she corrects that. But in some ways she kind of adds to it. And we know that. Many of you have studied this. It, 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 God only said you should not eat it. She added the idea you shall not touch it. Now, I, I, I'm, now let me just say this. Adam was the one that was around when this story came down. Adam's the one that got this instruction from God. So I imagine Adam basically says, Eve, now let me tell you about this tree. There's a tree in the center the garden. You, 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 you don't eat from it. Matter of fact, don't look at it. Don't touch it. Don't go anywhere near I can see something like that happening. And, and basically, Adam probably said possibly those words. So, so the woman at first defends the authority of God's Word, but then from this point, she begins to question God's word, word. So how many of us have been at this point where we know the Word of God, but then we keep engaging in the lies of the enemy? How many of you ever found yourself there? You knew the Word of God. You knew that that why He had given you, the command that He gave you, uh, that, that it was for your best, but you stood there and you engaged that lie long enough that you were able to build possibly even rationalizations as to why maybe you need to do this. And that's when you fall into the clenches of the enemy. That's when He knows. That he basically has, has destroyed the authority of God's word in your life. Now, here's what we need to know. What we need to know is this. This, when the word of God is being attacked in, uh, towards us, uh, it is pitched towards us. And whether we're trying to rationalize it or he's giving us the rationalization himself. The thing we got to understand, this is, this is where we mess up. We we think it's just something mild, it is not gonna hurt anybody. But here's what you gotta understand it as: it is a direct attack against you directed at the heart of God. I want you to think about that. His commands are there to bless you. To, to provide what's best for you, and you're basically determining or, or agreeing with the enemy that there is a better way. And it is actually at that point that you doubt God's Word, and you begin living life on your own terms that are now being dictated by the enemy himself. You see, we all are under the surrendership, if that's even a word, of someone, We can either be under the surrender of God and his word, or under the enemy himself, which many people are, or we set up the structure where we are the authority, and boy, are we seeing that everywhere today. And so what you have here is that Eve is beginning to fall into the grips of the attack that the enemy is bringing. So here's what you need to know. The enemy will always know what to say To cause you to doubt God's word. Or what to say to get you to doubt what God is doing in your life. You know why he's so good at it? Because in many ways he knows you better than you know yourself. Because the enemy has been up to this for thousands and thousands of years. It's because the enemy knows exactly what he's doing. And sometimes we don't have a clue. Because we don't recognize it as an attack on us and even God's Word. So, in the case of this, here's what we need to know. In the case of knowing evil, God was protecting Adam and Eve. Because here's what it's going to come down to. Hey, you're going to know good and evil. Before, what did they know? They knew God. They knew the goodness of God. They knew why it was good to follow the heart of God. Everything about God, it was a good thing, but it's about to be exposed. So next, the the dart of doubt challenges the acceptability of God's word. So look at verse four. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You're not gonna die from this. Do you see the doubt? Do you see what's happening here? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the enemy is saying, I can open your eyes to new possibilities, to new possibilities, and possibilities that we know will be evil. And and here's another way of saying it. If God is so good, then why is he keeping something from you? Now, I don't know if you've ever encountered an attack from the enemy like that, but I have on many occasions. There's always something better than what God says. There's always something better that's out there. You just need to pursue it. Many years ago, I was going through what I deem as a a midlife crisis, and it was very real. Uh, it was a time of my life where I never uh, knew the, 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 basically the spiritual warfare could be as intense as it was. And, and I'm just going to tell you, I recognized I mean, it was so severe. It, it, I recognized it as evil. But I'm telling you one thing. There came a time where I felt like I was battling hell by the acre. You ever heard that phrase? I really did. I mean, it was something that came on me like I've never experienced before in my life. And it was one of those things where the enemy was basically telling me, you know, there's so much more out there that you can do, that you can experience, that you haven't experienced yet. And and you can go over here, and you can do this. Why would God keep that from you? Come on. You say, really? It came to you like that? Yeah. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll say he comes at you like that a lot. There's always that thing out there he wants to introduce to you. For Adam and Eve, it was evil itself. For us, it's many different types of evil that he wants us to embrace, that he wants us to move towards. And where does it all start? It starts by beginning to doubt God himself and then the authority of his word. And then all of a sudden, he reels us in. He starts bringing us in. And so really, when you say, well, then how do I overcome the doubt? How do you get through this time? Well, you handle it just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. What did Jesus do? The enemy came at him. And here's what's interesting about the enemy. The enemy knew the word of God. The enemy came at Jesus with a misrepresentation of the Word of God. And in, an, in a couple of the places, it was actually the Word of God he came at him with. The timing was off when it came to Jesus. So, so Jesus is there, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, and he's already fasted and getting ready for his public ministry, and all of a sudden the enemy just comes in. Great opportunity. Physical weakness like he's never seen before in Jesus, and he's observing what's happening. And then he starts pitching these things. And some of them are the very word of God. And you know how Jesus Jesus didn't even wink at it. I mean, he didn't even look. All of a sudden, he'd say one thing, and Jesus just fires back the word of God. You know why? Because he trusted God, and he trusted the authority of God's word in his life. Now, you say it was easy for him. He's God's son. He's deity. Yeah, but you know what? The same power that's available to him is available to us according to God's word. We're not living in the power of our own strength. Even when he introduces the armor of God, he's telling us that. It's in the power of his might. His might is still right there. And so what did Jesus do? He just encountered it and engaged with it with just the word of God. He didn't sit there and and rationalize it and think about, well, you know, you might have a point here. He didn't do any of that. He just fired back the word of God. And that's the reason we need, we need to know the Word of God. and We need to hold it as authority in our lives. It's because of that. It can get us in all kinds of trouble. But Jesus was able, under the attack of the enemy, and he beautifully defeated the enemy with the Word of God. By the way, and this is something you've got to keep in mind, the enemy knows the Word of God. He knows the Word of God, and he can twist it to his own likings. And if you're not careful... You'll do the exact same thing to get your way, to get what your flesh wants. Next, we see the dart of desire, the whole idea of temptation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Wow. Now, what do we find here in this one verse? We find in this one verse what we see in 1 John 2, verse 16. We see how the enemy comes at us. Look at this verse here on the screen. It says this, for all that's in the world, if you, if you line up all the evil that's in the world and you put all the attack that's going to come at you, it can be broken down or it can be a process of these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of this world. It's of the economy of the world. In, in, in this world, here's what you got to understand. Where, where's the enemy when it says of this world? The Bible says he's been given dominion over over the world. He's the one with all the scheming and everything that's happening here. So the avenues that he uses to accomplish these things, we find right here in Genesis, the lust of the flesh. So what do you see there? Look on your outline. First of all, there's a desire activated by sight. That's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. You see it. And we find it right here in verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree, of good, tree was good for food. Next, desire conceived by the mind is lust of the flesh. You now want it. You want it. And you want it so bad, sometimes you obsess over it. You become obsessive over the thought. Anybody ever been there? And right away, most of us, if we, if we were completely honest, we would see that this desire that we have and the fact that we want it is not good. But then, it's like he keeps bombarding us with it. Bam, bam, bam. You see, the enemy knows human nature, and he knows us very well, in the fact he knows exactly what our desires are deep down in the flesh. He knows how to play the flesh. He's very good at it, very good at it. And you don't stand a chance against him unless you're trusting in the power of God's might. You don't stand a chance. You say, well, I can just kind of go out here. I can ignore it. And I can do that. And all. Eventually, how many of you ever had people in your life that, that you, 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 you basically said, no, I'm not going to do this, but they wear you down? If you have a two-year-old, you, that's happened to you. They just keep coming at you, keep coming at you, keep coming at you until they eventually wear you down. The enemy does the same thing. And here's one thing I found out about the enemy. He's very patient. He's very patient. I mean, he, he doesn't care when you fall. He doesn't care when it happens. He just wants it to happen. And he'll just keep putting it right out there in front of you. And that's really what you see is the bait and the hook. Next, Desire surrendered to sin that's the prior of life. What, what is that all about? Eventually, he will come at you, and I'll be honest with you, this is what I dealt with in my midlife crisis. I did. I, the enemy was so real. It was just the messages, and, and here's what he'll say. You deserve it. You deserve it. This thing out here that you desire, that you want so bad, guess what? You deserve it. He's good, isn't he? He's good. When our flesh surrenders to sin, what we first saw becomes our enemy. I want you to understand that. I've talked to many men who have fallen, I've, ta- I've talked to some women who have fallen for the temptations. Uh, the enemy, a fallen into sin, and, and guess what? It all started the same way, and it will for all of us. You see it. You want it. You get to a point where you deserve it. But here's what we need to understand. On the other side of surrendering to sin, there's always another view. There's always another view once you've committed the sin. And the enemy, as long as he brings you to that point of destruction and you bite whatever it may be and you bite in and you do, here's what he does. He keeps the view of what comes later out of sight, his deception. But on the other side to surrendering to sin, there's always the view from the other side, from the other side And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I believe many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The view from the other side. It's the side of the temptation, once we surrender it, called consequences. We don't realize the consequences. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is not a good thing. This is not the blind able to see now, other than the fact that now they're seeing evil, except evil isn't in a distance. Evil is upon them. It's upon them. This is the view from the other side. All of a sudden, what what did it all start with? It start when the woman saw, right? And it ends when their eyes are open. The deception's no longer in play. The consequences of what's going to happen now become real. And it says, and they both knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings themselves. So what you see here is guilt and shame, broken fellowship with God that we'll see later in the text, that you can see later in the text, and also blame shifting. So God comes along. You Remember the story? God shows up, just like he did any other day. And the cool of the day, he's there, and he wants to have fellowship with man and, and, and the wife. And, and he goes in, and they're hidden. And he's like, where, where are you, Adam? God knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly what had just happened. And he's calling out to Adam, and Adam said, I was afraid because I'm naked. My shame, my vulnerability, the guilt, it was, it's, just, it's just upon me. You could say he didn't feel worthy to be before the Lord. I mean, he, the worthlessness of it all. That's the other side of the story of temptation. The other side of it. And all of a sudden, you got all these things that are happening. And then all of a sudden, Adam says, well, well I, I didn't really do it. She made me do it. The one you gave me. Think about that. What happened? Breaking fellowship with God? Now, broken fellowship with Eve. Eve had to be sitting there saying, thanks for throwing me under the bus. I mean, think about the scene there. Everything that they know, here's what you got to understand, is now in shambles. Their conscience, the the, the purity of their soul, the broken fellowship with God, the broken fellowship with each other, and then guess what? And God hasn't even started handing out the consequences yet. Wow, the desire is one that Satan's very good at using. So how do you overcome temptation? Adam and Eve was captivated by the dart of desire. But in the Old Testament, Joseph fled from the dart of desire. You remember Potiphar's wife got a hold of him? The Bible says she cast longing eyes on him day after day after day. And and, and, and if you don't know what that means, just... Talk to somebody, but anyway, she, she, she's looking at him. She's desiring him. She's wanting him, and all of a sudden, his only response when it came down to her just making her way at him was for him to run. And for some of you this morning, maybe you're here today because you know deep down you need to be running from what you're entertaining in your heart right now. You need to be running. Can I tell you one who entertained the dark of desire? King David, a man after God's own heart, he entertained it too. And it cost him almost everything he had that was special to him. Broken relationships with his children. Broken relationship with all those around him. Broken relationship with God. You say, how do I know that? Read some of the Psalms that are directed to the fact that he feels so separated and isolated from God. He's in a terrible place. Again, what is it? It's the view from the other side, a view from the other side. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10 says. Some of you may be sitting here today, and you're like this. Here's where you may be. This thing is going to get the best of me one day. The handwriting's on the wall. It's more than I can handle, and you're right. It is more than you can handle, but you can trust this. The Bible says, no temptation is overtaking you except as such is common to man. That means, guess what? We're all dealing with the same junk. We're all dealing with the same stuff. He knows what to put. He's got this, the, the enemy has his favorite things of putting out there in front of us. He knows exactly what to do to get a man's attention, how to get a woman's attention. He knows exactly how to do it and bring the most destruction. And basically, the Bible says, we're all in this together, but God. How many of you love the phrases, but God? is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You, that means when you, when you get the view from the other side because you've surrendered and submitted to the sin, and you're sitting there in are guilt and shame, you can't say, God, why did you allow this? Somewhere along the line, if you look carefully long enough, you'll find there was a way out that he gave you, and you look past it towards the sin. How do I know that? Because of what's next. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what does that mean? Some of you are on the interstate of desire. You're flying down that road. You've already gone past, I've seen it. You've already gone past, I want it, to, I desire it, I gotta have it. And here's what this verse says. God's word says there's exit ramps on the way. You got to take the exit ramp, but so many don't, but he gives you that. Next, the dart of dismay, fear. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we see some things here. And by the way, let me just say this about fear. I think this is one of the enemy's greatest tools. I've said that many times before. I mean, if he can get you to fear, he's got you. He's got you. I mean, I mean, think about it. So, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you turn there, you're going to see some things real quickly. Overcoming fear. How do we overcome fear? How do we? We know God's placed something there. We know he's doing a work in our lives. But all of a sudden, there's fear that strikes us. And you say, well, what could it be relating to? It could be relating to the purpose he's called you to. And so, let's look at how it happens in the Word of God. Overcoming fear. First of all, you've got to develop a burning passion within if you're to say, I want to overcome fear, God's called me to do something. I'm confident it's his calling, but I don't ever seem to be able to get beyond my fear to do it. I was there early on in the calling God placed on my life. I was terrified to do what I'm doing right up here right now. That, that whole idea, of what's, what's, what are people commonly afraid of? Did you know speaking in public is above, is above death? Some of y'all can relate to that. Yeah, I, I was there. I saw that. I'm like, you mean I'd rather die than stand up here and do what I'm doing? Exactly. But, but the thing you gotta understand is we gotta go beyond. So if you set up the story here, the, the, the nation of Israel, specifically Jerusalem, is now in shambles due to the Babylonian captivity, due to the Babylonians coming in and basically destroying the identity of the people. How did, what, how, what was his best way of destroying the identity of the people? By taking down the holy city, Jerusalem. And so brick by brick, they left it in shambles. And so all of a sudden, Nehemiah comes forward some years later, and he basically believes God's placed within him a desire and purpose to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so he goes, and he's given permission to go, so he's on his way. The Bible says in verse 6 of chapter 4, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half his height, for the people had a mind to work. They had a passion that calls them to leave from where they were for some of them to go there to do this great work of God. You see, there's always got to be that passion that takes you beyond your fear. And that's how God dealt with me and my own fear. And that's how I would deal with you. Second of all, accept fear as the price of victory. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 7. So it happened when Samballot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were being restored. The gaps were beginning to close in. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Some of your translations say fear. They wanted to strike fear in them to stop the work that uh, later on you're going to find out was a, well, even they acknowledged God was behind it. So, overcoming fear, how do we continue this process? You got to admit your fears. What did they do in verse 9? Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So, basically, you know what this verse says? The verse says they prayed. And the answer they, got, they were given was direction from God to put people there in the place to guard the work. That's the word they got from God, okay? Now, let's continue. That's what he's saying. They let the work continue. But what did they have to do first? They had to admit they were terrified. They were fearful. It's okay, and guess what? The best thing you can do with your fear is to admit it to God in prayer. You say, how do you know that works? I'm living proof that it works. God, let me do anything but do what you're calling me to do. Well, what's the problem? I'm terrified. You, you see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, you know what I saw him do? He started surrounding me with people who encouraged my heart, started showing things to the people around me. I, well, God must be in this. And all of a sudden, the things just started happening. And before I knew it, it it's not so much I, felt, I almost felt like I was pushed up here. Hey! <laughs> Terrified, but hey, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, and it was one of those things only I knew he could do. Discover the root cause of your fear. They knew what the cause was. Every time they turned around, they were being threatened. The words of the enemy were co- was coming near. Next, overcoming fear. Focus on the things you can control. How many of you realize or you've lived long enough to know that most of life you can't control? You know that, right? And we think worry will help, and it doesn't. But we can't control most things. We we can't. Verse 13, Nehemiah 4, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the law, the openings, and I sent the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. So so what do you do? You focus on the things you can control. What can I do? What's God led me a path towards doing? And they did it. Next, feed your faith, not your fear. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. And then whose attention do you turn them to? Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He not only calls them to remember the Lord, but also remember what is the result of the work. The result of what he's called you to and what it can produce, the result of the word. Fear, as I said, seems to be the greatest weapon the enemy uses to paralyze us. And he does it many times to some of us until we're dead in our tracks. I've met people who've told me, they've actually come to me and say, you know something? I believe years ago I missed the call of God. And I say, well, "Why do you think you missed it? And you know what they tell me? It seems like every time they'll say something, I was afraid. I was scared. I I, I didn't know how to do. I didn't. It's remarkable. But God wants us to have victory. And the enemy, boy, he'll shoot that fear right in there. And then next, the dart of discouragement. I don't have time to go over this, but I'll just give you the things. This, is, this can be your Bible study for this week. So how do you do it? You read the text this week. But number one, overcoming discouragement, receive God's care for you. Did you know God, through Jesus' experience, knows what discouragement is all about? Did Jesus appear to be discouraged at times? Overcoming discouragement, respond, respond to God's voice and or his word. Start listening to God. Quit listening to everybody else. Get off the dang social media. I'm not encouraged many times by that. Overcoming discouragement. Remember, God does speak to the hurting. He will speak to you in the midst of your hurt. How about this? Return to work and allow God to renew your sense of purpose. Get back out there. Next, reality check your perceptions. It's faith and facts over feelings. So many times feelings stops us dead in the tracks in our tracks. and then reach to the support God sends. God, when you start crying out, He'll send you and this, I, this is from experience just what you need. just what you need if you're. On target to accomplish what he calls you to. And then the dart of distress. And I put the verses there. So, so here's, here's the conclusion. The enemy has a custom made plan to destroy you. How many of you knew that before you walked in here today? Okay, not many of you. You need to know. He does. Custom made just for you. How to bring you down. Your faith in God and his plan for you discovered in his word is the only thing that stands between you and that destruction. That's deep. And then I want to close with this. What darts is the enemy pitching or shooting at you? We didn't get to cover them all. May not be one I've mentioned. But what do you think he's shooting at you? What's happening in your life right now? Let me just say this. You're breathing. And you know, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He's got darts. He's pointing towards you. And some of them have already connected. What is it? Ask God to help you have victory as he so promised in this word. Would you stand to your feet re- with us? Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your challenge this morning. Lord, we've gone through many places in your word this morning. And I just pray you'll help us to, to understand your word more fully. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to pray with someone, helping to realize there's people here at the front that that will pray with them. Maybe it's just more than they can handle. Maybe they're overwhelmed. The enemy's coming at them with discouragement and being overwhelmed. Maybe they see the bait that's laying right there in front of them, and they need prayer to not see this to destruction. Father, have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us this morning? The prayer partners will be here at the front, please. Continue to pray with us as they play softly. Hmm. Father, we just again come to you. And Lord, it's just like the song we just sung. We're only worthy because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But Father, we thank you that it takes us even further than just that salvation. You give us the power of that resurrection in the lives that we live day to day. Father, help us to be overcomers. Help us to be those who can see the darts coming and maybe when they hit that they don't land in a destructive way but we recognize it for what it is and then pull forth your word into that deception, into that potential destruction. Thank you for what you've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.